Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 83 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, self-branding coach, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story, is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back to the Africana Woman family, the visionaries. Yes. <laughs> Please click the subscribe button and visit AfricanaWoman.com to become an official Africana Woman visionary. We are 16 conversations, 16. 16 conversations away from a hundred episodes on the Africana Woman podcast. For the hundredth episode, we will have a live podcast recording with a live audience right here at Kumushi Garden in Kabwe. If you want to be one of the 100 guests, please go to the show notes and sign up. Listen, it's gonna be lit. <laughs> if you want to be a sponsor for this event, I'm not going to say no. Honey, please get in touch. The link is also in the show notes. Even if you're not in Zambia, I still want you to participate. You can send us a voice note on our hotline, or if you have a burning follow-up question for a previous guest, send those through as well, and we will answer them at the celebration. The 100th episode is coming up, guys. All roads lead to Kabwe on September 24th. See you there. I can't wait. Okay, so here's another quick reminder. The first ever Africana Woman Visionaries Retreat is on 29 to 31 July. We are curating a very intimate experience at an exclusive property called The Castle on the shores of Lake Kariba. Guys, I mean, the setting alone is just divine. If you want to find out more, you can find the link in the show notes as well. <laughs> Guys, my sister, hey, Chideki. <laughs> the world is raving about blood sisters. If you do not know anything about it, how are we friends? Hello, hello, hello. Huh? Go and watch Blood Sisters. Okay, okay, fine. Let me explain for people who have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> How? I don't even understand. But anyway, Blood Sisters is a mini-series made by the amazing Mo Abudu. Guys, this woman is goals. And the storyline is a thriller located in Niger. So that was Chulu, you know, just clicking through Netflix and it says it pops up like, oh, new arrival. And I'm like, eh, okay, let me check it out. Hey, <laughs> first 10 minutes, hold up. What just happened? I went to WhatsApp and I said, you know what? Somebody needs to watch this with me. It's like somebody needs to jump on this with me. Because if you haven't already noticed, I get very emotionally involved in movies, hey? So I don't want to bear that burden by myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I managed to rope my mom to watch with me. Actually, every other person who was watching it after I had watched it, I was like, listen, I just want you to give me like a running commentary. That's all I need. That's all I need. It's the first 10 minutes. It's crazy. Oh my 
goodness. So when I did finish watching it, I said to my sisters, I was like, guys, this was insane, like insane. And then one of them says to me, she says, oh, it was written by a Zambian lady. I was like, serious? How? Ah, hey, I went straight onto the internet, investigated who was this woman. And then I went straight to her inbox. I'm telling you, this is like in 10 minutes. Went straight to her inbox and I was like, Isis, you need to come and explain yourself. <laughs> On a serious note, she said yes. She said yes. You guys, I um, I was geeking out. I am still geeking out. And I'm so excited to share this conversation. Please, please, please welcome Zeli Pazulu to the Africana Woman Podcast. Zeli Pazulu is a screenwriter, script editor, storyliner, story editor, head writer, and concept creator with 14 years experience in film and television. Zeli's first feature, Blues for Azania, 2007, led to work as a writer and storyliner on the award-winning SA TV show, Generations. From 2009 to 2016, Zeli worked as a writer and storyliner on the award-winning youth-targeted drama series, Rhythm City. Since 2016, she has been head writer for the show. Under Zeli's guidance, the show grew in audience ratings, share, and popularity, performing the best in its long history. Since 2012, the show has averaged over 4 million daily viewers. In the last four years, the show has been nominated for 13 SAFTAs, securing five wins, two of them for Best Television Soap Opera. In 2015 to 2016, Zeli created Ngozi, an advertiser-funded drama series for Word of Mouth Productions. The show ran for two seasons on SABC One, ranking second in ratings and audience share across all SABC channels. In 2019, Zeli created her original series, Omen, a 13-part supernatural drama series for Mzansi Magic and Showmax. Omen ranked in the top four most-watched shows across the channel. Other credits include, and please, I am not from South Africa, so I might butcher these, but Emnet's <laughs> 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 The Wild, Mzansi Magic's The Road, Isibaya, Istembiso, uh, Lockdown and Entangled, SABC's Uzalo, Mamelo, Movango, Makoti, and political drama 90 Plains. Well done. Thank you. I made it. I was practicing. <laughs> <laughs> and more recently, Zeli's Netflix debut, Blood Sisters, an original four-part limited series co-written with Craig Fremond, Produced by Nigerian Mo Abudu, Ebony Life Studios, was released on May 5th, 2022. In its first week of release, Blood Sisters hit the top 10 ratings in over 30 countries across the world. Guys, help me welcome Zeli Zulu to the Africana Woman Podcast. I'm so excited. Hi. Hi. Hi, 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 hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited. It's so funny because I watched Blood Sisters 
And as soon as I was done, I said, oh my God, guys, my, my friends, group of friends, I said, this show was amazing. And my friend said, oh, it was written by a Zambian lady. And I was like, straight away, <laughs> on Google, straight away, please be on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm so, so grateful that you said yes. It's an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Anything to, you know, uplift a fellow woman, anything, you know, to get women in the spotlight, I'm all for it. Always. So I always start with this question, which is, what is your favorite childhood memory? Being on my own at home and writing a story. <laughs> that's, that's literally my favorite childhood memory. And the weird part is that it could be any day of my childhood. That's what I would be doing. Do you have a story, for example, that you wrote in your childhood and you've somehow brought it into the work that you're doing right now? Actually, that's a very interesting question. I don't think that I have. I I don't think that I have. They say that every writer's first story is um, a sort of, you know, quasi biography of themselves and their life. And I kind of feel perhaps more than what I would have written when I was young, seeping into my work, it would be more of what my life was like seeping into my work. So in that, in that sense, yes, there's a, there's a few of my own truths that I drew from in my early works. Definitely. I'm not going to tell you which ones. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But just to give people background, like I mentioned, you're Zambian, but you have a career that is beautifully illustrious and it's been in mostly in South Africa. So just give us an idea of how, you know, the Zambian lady found herself in South Africa, (laughs) you know? Well, I I like to think that I'm 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 a very pan-African child. I'm a child of Africa. I was born in Zambia. I spent my formative years in Zambia. Um my mother was from Zimbabwe. My father was from South Africa. So it was very natural for me to make the shift um in my adulthood from Lusaka, Zambia to Johannesburg, South Africa. It wasn't, you know, a a stretch. Um, And during my my childhood, my parents, well, my father in particular, moved around quite a bit. So I found myself in lots of different African countries. So, yeah, child of Africa, child of the soil. (laughs) That's me. I know that you studied law and I was yes. just wondering how you went from law and then you went to screenwriting. What happened? It was always screenwriting. It has always been screenwriting for me. The The only reason I ventured into law was because I needed something that would appease my parents. I think this is a very common African theme that our parents don't rate the arts. They don't rate anything creative as something that could sustain you. And they always try and do the best that they can for us. And they always want us to do better than them. And so for me, my parents considered my very undeniable talent for writing and being creative, which got me into a lot of trouble at times, as, as, a, as, a, as a great hobby. But I needed, according to them, to get a real job, study for something real that will 
put food on your table. And so I chose what I felt was the next best thing. Because anyone who knows me knows I can, I can argue quite well. I am not the best girlfriend or wife out there because I can argue and I always win. So, um, so when my parents died, I figured there was no one I was holding myself accountable to. And it was time to pursue what I truly felt was, was me something that I was truly passionate about. And so after years of study and after years of working, well, it wasn't too long, but after years of working in corporate, I just decided I've got nothing to lose. I resigned, I packed away my degree and I hit the road, never looked back. Wow. A lot of women and just people in general are very fearful of just, you know, taking that leap. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you spoke about sort of being released in a sense to not being saying that, oh, okay, these people are looking at me to be in this profession, but you had that release. But for you, what was your next step? Because, you know, you're going into an industry that is probably very oh, it was difficult. So what? how do you now start to navigate that space, you know? It was very, very difficult. And, 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 and I completely agree with you, you know, leaving something that is um, most certain to, to, to provide um, uh, financial stability is not, it's not a small thing. And I think when you're young, you tend to take a lot more risks. I look back and I think, dear Lord, would I do that again today at my age? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. And I try and draw inspiration from a younger version of me, but it's very difficult. I guess when I took that step and I, I resigned after a few years of, of corporate and I took my little money, the most natural thing to do, because I come from a very political family, was to, my resignation from the corporate world coincided with the decline of, of Zimbabwe, which was, you know, called the uh, breadbasket of Africa. And, and I thought, I need to do a story on this. Um, I don't know how to shoot a documentary, but I also don't want to do a stereotypical sort of political documentary. I'm more interested in what the people are thinking and feeling, their hopes, their fears, and what they've you know gone through, something that will resonate with the next person. And so I kind of just, with the sort of surety and, 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 and just uh, ambition of youth, took my little money, my laptop, my little handheld camera, and I flew to Harare. And I kind of retraced my steps, like where my mom was from, and just sort of touched base with, with long-lost relatives and asked questions. And, and I just went with my gut. I drafted a little script, um, and pretty soon I found that story was an animal. It doesn't always follow script. You know, it, it, it evolves in, in an, an organic way. And I just, I just followed instinct and I packaged together a little something. And I went back to South Africa and knocked on about 5,011 doors and only one opened, but I only needed that one. It was difficult. It was difficult for sure. 
And half the time, I didn't know what I was doing. So you use Blues for Azania as a um, sort of like a portfolio, right? Yes. Pretty um, much. Okay. Pretty much. So because I was looking for some sort of, I, I wanted to see what it was, like a trailer or something like that. Is it available anywhere? I have a copy. <laughs> it was broadcast on the SABC, oh God, years back. I don't know that if, I suppose you could find it on YouTube, but I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I do have a copy I could send to you. It's very shocking. Um, I, look, I look at it and I go, ooh, I cringe. Because, <laughs> you know, with, with experience, you know, you, you kind of go, I can't believe I put that out there for public yeah. consumption. It's, you know, but, but the heart shines through. The heart shines through. Yeah. So when you were when you were knocking on the doors, were you saying that I want to come in as a writer? And did you go in as a writer, or maybe you entered in something else? I was extremely ambitious. I went in as I am a writer, and this is what I have to offer. Uh, this is my calling card, if you will, and I want a producer. That's how I went in. I didn't want to go in as you know, some junior person. I was very confident in my abilities and my, my skill. Rightly so, wrongly so, I don't know. But I was very confident. And I said, I went in saying I want a producer. And when I went to MMSV, you know, Mfundi said to me, you have great potential and you have a great knack for, you know, people and how they actually do people things. And I can see something in you, but you're still very green. I do like your project, but not in its entirety. And if you let me come on board as a co-creator, co-writer, then I can help you. And so I had to swallow my pride, you know, the hubris of youth and say, okay, let me learn from one of the greatest, one of, you know, the pioneers of, of TV in not just South Africa, but Africa as a whole. And I, I quickly realized what a, a, a sort of, you know, privileged position that I was in at the time. And I, I, yeah, I swallowed my pride and I took a back seat and I learned. So, yeah, that's how that came about. And when we were done with Blues for Azania, he offered me a position as a junior writer on Generations. And that was, you know, that was me thinking I've done this massive thing. You and I were partners. So I'm going on to something bigger. And he was like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> You've got to start from the beginning. And, and pretty much that's, that's how I started writing. That's how I started writing for South African television. Wow. I think, you know, when you're saying that, you know, you're switching careers and just the thought of having to start at the bottom again and then work your way up, it's very, that is also scary in itself. Yes. And, but like you said, like you learned and you learned at the hands of somebody who is a master already. And that was an amazing experience. Out of curiosity, do you, do you speak the local languages? Uh, yes. I see. How many? Do I, you... I understand quite a few, but I speak one quite well. Okay. <laughs> I speak Zulu quite well. 
<laughs> because I was like thinking like because I know South African um, shows and you know they're very they're very particular about you know using the local languages and making sure yeah. that you know they're representing the people on the streets and it's not just yeah. English through and through. Yeah. We love them in Zambia. We're going to read the subtitles. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that I, I, I absolutely think every country can learn from. We need to take pride in who we are. We need to represent accurately on the screen back to our people who they are. And if we're making television in South Africa, why must it be predominantly English? Why aren't we using our local languages? And South Africa does that beautifully. And I think we can also learn in other countries to do the very same. So yes, I, I speak Zulu. The other sort of, you know, <laughs> local dialects, I, I understand, but I'm not very fluent, but I am very immersed in the culture, I'm very immersed in the way of life. I I mean, I've been in South Africa for a very long time. So I am at heart, I am South African, I am Zambian, and now I'm making a home in, in, in the UK. So, yeah. So in a team of writers, when you have like a show like Generations, who is in that team? What is it comprised of? Like the writing team? Right. So the writing team would normally comprise of the head writer, who's the um, HOD. And then you have a story editor who will look at all three aspects of the story, A, B and C line, and meld them together, make them speak to each other and follow the continuity of the emotional continuity of the characters and also just general continuity of the episodes. So you have the head writer, you have the story editor, you have the storyliners who helm an, a storyline each. And then you have the script writers who then take the storylines and bring those to life in the form of a script. And then you have the script editor. And then from the script editor, you have the translator and then the script coordinator. So there's quite a few people and quite a few processes that go into an episode before it actually goes to production and then finally makes it onto screen to the viewer. Yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. But, yeah, it sounds like you really have to embrace working with people, you know. Yes. Yeah, if you're like so focused on just, oh, my story should just be the story, then I think you'd struggle a bit. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. I mean, writing is the most, one of the most solitary passions one could ever try and pursue. But also it's a very inclusive process because you can't write in a vacuum. And yet you can. <laughs> but ultimately when you're producing an episode, there is no room for ego. You cannot have an ego. And to produce a great show... You've got to be a team player because even myself as the head writer of a show with people reporting to me, with me having the last say on what goes on the page, I need to be able to take it when my team says to me, that's a rubbish idea. I cannot take it personal. And so when I 
when I have the opportunity to get somebody new onto the team, the first thing I say to them is leave your ego at the door because if you have an ego, it's not going to work in this room. So it's it a very collaborative effort. Yeah. I'm just wondering about like logistically, is it possible to work remotely? Yes, absolutely. Before COVID, we only met as a team once a week. The rest was done remotely. And then we would meet once every four months to, you know, workshop the bigger picture. So we would spend three whole days together, the uh, game farm somewhere, <laughs> during the week, once a week, for about four hours. And then off you go. Oh, wow. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. It sounds um, great. Until you're actually doing the work and you're like, I could use some help here. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, as much as you're working remotely, but you're still in contact with each other. Yes, yes absolutely. Throughout, throughout. I'm, I mean, I, I constantly, even like right now, I'm constantly, as you can see, mm-hmm. I, as I work, I bounce off of, you know, my team or I bounce off, off of my colleague and I'll just be like, oh, I'm thinking this happens. And he's like, oh, that sounds dodge. Uh, why do you want that? I explain, he gets it, he makes a better suggestion and, you know, vice versa. And yeah. I'm on call for the, for the rest of the team to, to sort of say I'm stuck. And then I have to pick up the phone and, you know, help out. Yeah. So I was wondering around, you know, I think when you have a show as long as Rhythm City or, you know, Generations or any of these shows, how do you keep it relevant? How do you stay on beat with the community, with, you know, what's happening in the culture? What is, where are your muses from? You just said it. You just said it. Like, you know, you stay, you know, immersed and up to speed with what's happening in the community around you. You can't, for example, um, are you in Lusaka? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Kabwe. Are you in Kabwe? So, okay, I, I'm just going to use Lusaka for reference because I'm not very familiar with, you know, towns in Kabwe. But if you're going to write a show that speaks to the country at large, you can't just block yourself off in Kabulonga and, you know, that's it. That's your domain. And the only place that you go to is Chicago or what's the other one? Um, Capone, you know, Capone's. You've got to go time to time, go to Chibolia, find out what's ticking there, what's happening there. Listen, go on social media, keep up with the trends. But most importantly, I think for a long running show is young, fresh blood. When I joined, I was, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I had ideas for days and I had these experienced people sort of, you know, taking what was usable and then sort of containing my enthusiasm to something a bit more realistic. And so it's, it's very important when you're running a, a, a long running show to constantly have new blood in the room in the form of a researcher in the form of sort of we do these sessions these feedback sessions 
with audience members, but we choose deliberately just the target market. Say if our, our show is targeted at 18 to 45 year olds, we just randomly choose from different towns, different townships and, and just, you know, hold these sessions where we, we listen. We listen to the people who actually consume our product. And that's, that's just really important because as I get older, you know, I'm not uh, as in touch, like what's the latest TikTok trend? What's the, what's the latest way to pick up a girl? So I, I mean, I hang out with my, my, my son, my, my nephews and through them, I'm able to get a glimpse into their world and I hang out with much older people. And through them, I'm able to, you know, get a glimpse into their world. And then when I get home, I take these two worlds and I have them speak to each other. And then what you see on the screen is something that you can relate to, something grounded in reality. And so that is what makes a long running show. Social relevance, relatability, enthrallment, like blood sisters, it's quite... You know, it's quite thrilling. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, relatability, you have to, you have to have a list for yourself and just go, okay, I've got eight points on that list. Did I check off at least five? If I've got five, I'm happy. So, you know, you've got a, like a long-standing show. I'm just wondering around, for example, you do, you're going to do something shocking. You're going to kill off a character or, you know, whatever it is. Do you feel like you have to tell at least one person that's not in the team? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I will admit when I first started out, because I was super excited, obviously, I was working with all these amazing actors that, um, I'd only watched as a child on screen and now I'm writing the words that come out of their mouths. That was super exciting. I felt very important and I, there was a need for me to, to share. <laughs> so I may have broken my confidentiality, you know, little clauses here and there, but nothing major. But uh, when you get used to it, you, you, you see the value in holding on to that certain revelations because ooh, word gets around. <laughs> Especially I tell you, media, even worse, I'm sure. I tell you, and I tell you to keep it a secret, and you tell someone to keep it a secret, and before you know it, everybody knows. <laughs> so, no, these days, the last maybe 10 years, no. I, I'm not even tempted. Yeah. Even if if, even if the actor is my friend, I, I, I just won't tell them that their job is coming to an end. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Just even hearing it. That's so heartbreaking. Okay. It's, it's part of the, the work, you know, it's part of the job. It's, it's, uh, it does come with a bit of its downside because yeah. some characters must die. But unfortunately, that just means, you know, it's the end of somebody's career as far as that show, particular show is concerned. Yeah. And that's a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. 
on a lighter note, do you have a a genre preference? Because I noticed like your earlier work was very, it's more serious, more, you know, drama. And then I've seen like the more recent ones that, you know, comedy, rom- romance. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're spot on. I'm more a, a, a dramatic writer than anything else. Preference to watch for myself is horror. I love the horror genre, anything supernatural, anything horror, gruesome, grotesque, love, love, love. I am not a fan of (laughs) rom-com. I'm not a fan of rom-com because I think that it's difficult to write if you're not funny. I don't consider myself a funny person. But that said, when Corona hit and we lost so many loved ones and you, 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 you got this realization or, or reminder that life is very short and it's, you know, it's not given, it's not granted for anybody. I just got this thing where I thought, I need to do something a little bit different. I've always been scared to venture into certain genres. And and so I did do two rom-coms. I did Entangled and I did Makoti and they were really good. It was it was it was quite an experience. And then of course Blood Sisters is a thriller. I've never done thriller in my career and it turned out to be the biggest of my career. So yet again, the universe is kind of saying risks do pay off. Calculated risks. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody out there should just, you know, quit their job and just like go out there and, you know, start doing things, but do it in a way that does not leave you vulnerable and exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, go back to, let's go back to the horror part because omen is a supernatural show and i was looking at it thinking how do you start researching like you know witchcraft and things like that? i'll be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the the idea behind omen was you know we've always demonized witchcraft and, and i think the western world has always also demonized sort of african practices Um, witch doctor, um, voodoo. And if you look at it, these practices are actually not all dark as, you know, the media and also parents and culture and as we have evolved would have you believe. So I've always had a keen interest in, in African sort of mythology and African gods because I don't know how many people out there know it before Christianity. We had our own gods. We had our own practices. So I'm always one that's curious about what happened before the missionaries. You know, where has our true culture gone? So part of that true culture for me anyway is sort of these, these myths. And, 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 and so omen was originally a vendor concept because the vendor culture is very rich in, you know, these kind of practices and they still do it to this day. And it's 
it's all above board. It's not dark. It's just a, a belief of who they are and where they come from. And there's a story that I was told by a very good friend of mine about, I can't even remember the name of the river, but it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's an actual attraction that there is a drum, and that drum is beneath this lake. And what it was is that there was a, there was a god of this lake, and I, I don't know what these village people did, and he, he, he lashed out at them and he drowned the cattle and he drowned. And so it's, it's like little things like that. I remember thinking, what if, you know, over time, like witches were actually God's creation and they were meant to help spread good. And like everything with mankind that we touch because of our greed, it, it just, we corrupt it. What if witchcraft was corrupted by man? That was my question. So born out of that, what if was omen? Like what if some people were scared of witches because witches were different. And, and to this day, we, we are scared of that which is not like ourselves, of other. We are scared. And we create these stories that make them a threat. So what if it started out that way? And what if some witches who were doing good for the, just the average human being like me and you decided, you know what? You're demonizing me, and here I am supposed to do good for you. I'm going to do it for myself. And so they start doing these things for themselves, and the more they focus on themselves, and as opposed to what God intended, the practice becomes darker and darker and darker. And so that's where, you know, Omen came from. But um, yeah, a lot of politics with that one, but yeah. <laughs> We'll let it go with that. I mean, I think again, for me, one of like you you said in terms of how our spiritual beliefs before Christianity were demonized, I think one of the things that South Africa is also pioneering and even Western Africa is just, you know, showing that yes, there are other spiritual beliefs, you know, there are other spiritual practices than just you know, than just Christianity. So I why can't we put our culture up there on the global stage as much as, you know, mm-hmm. Muslims do, as much as, you know, Buddhists do, as much as Christians do. I mean, we know all about these other religious, you know, sectors and beliefs, but with ours, it's just kind of, I'm not saying people shouldn't be Christian or Muslim if they want to be just because they're African, they shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, as you do that, respect that other people's beliefs lie in the soil, lie in their lineage, lie in their culture. Why can we all not just coexist without demonizing what we believe? That, that's just my question. I'm a Christian myself, but I'm, I'm very tolerant, extremely tolerant of what other people believe. As long as you're not hurting anyone, I just feel like, why not? 
at any one time, how many like writing projects can you be working on? Ah, interesting question. Uh, you can you can have as many as you want. Uh, I think it just depends on the writer. For me personally, I feel if I'm head writing a show, I don't want to carry or take on too much more work because I want to. It's a very exhausting thing mentally to write, so I don't want to take on too much. I can, but my writing will be compromised. My contribution will be compromised. So I never head write more than two shows at the same time. Never. And if I'm doing a drama series, I always, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing a drama series and I have two head writing jobs, I'll drop one. That's the way I operate. But I know some people who will take as much as they can. If 10 come, they'll say yes to 10. And then their output is a 20% ability. And then you see it reflected on screen and you go, that's just dumb. I just wasted half an hour of my life that I would never get back watching that show. And I can tell you nine times out of 10, that's what's happening. Okay, so we're going to dive into Blood Sisters because everybody, I think the question, I asked my friends, like, do you have a question for Zeli? And the number one question, my, my other friend put it really nicely, but I think for me, it was more around how did you find yourself in Nollywood? When you watch it, it just feels so authentic, you know? So how yeah. did that come about? So... I always say the writing community, especially in Africa, is this big. (laughs) This big, especially if you're good. Not that I'm saying I'm good, which I am. (laughs) Oh, you are good. You are good. We're going to give I was fishing for a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. We here we give people their roses whilst they're still here. You are good. But um, on a serious note, um, the writing industry is very small. And, you know, if you're great at what you do and you have, you know, certain awards to your name, it, it's, it's very easy. I mean, I get calls from people that I've, I've never met. Like even now in my inbox, I just, as you can imagine, I have been at this game for a very long time and I hardly ever do press work I hardly ever do um, social media work I will like every now and again I think I have like a a Facebook page where when I look cute you know I'm feeling kind of cute I'm like oh this is a cute outfit I'm gonna post it but that was always the extent of my sort of engagement and when I met my husband when I initially met him and he realized all the work that I've done and he watched a lot of it and he was like, why are you not taking credit? You know, why are you not putting your name out there? And I was like, well, people are enjoying what I'm doing anyway. Do they need to know where it's coming from? Do they need to know me? And he's like, absolutely. You know, so he is one of those kinds of people that made me see that exposure Uh, And putting myself out there and social media actually does go hand in hand with what I do. But with Blood Sisters, it was literally actually um, uh, 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 Craig, Craig Fryman, 
So Craig and I, we have been working together for 13, 14 years across different projects. And he has been working with Ebony Live TV in Nollywood for uh, maybe five, six years now. He does some projects for them. He wrote Oloture. So when this came along, when this opportunity came along, he was just like, look, there is an opportunity with, you know, Ebony Live TV. They need to come up with something, you know, big, something that the African market has not seen yet forever. Like we need to do something quite ambitious. So he introduced me to Mo Abudu and we had a few meetings with Mo Abudu and, you know, Blood Sisters was born. And it was just like, you, you, I mean, you had to be a fly on the wall in, in, in that, in those Zoom sessions. It, we, we just kind of were like going for it and just like, that's too small. That's too small. You gotta go bigger, gotta go bigger, bigger, bolder, badder. And yeah, so I, I just, I love the fact that when you have such an incredible working relationship with a fellow writer and they go away and they hear of an opportunity that they think this is something that Zeli can do. It's, you know, they want something about women. They some, want something that resonates, something that African women will connect to, will understand, relate to. And I'm like, what is the biggest talking point at this moment? Domestic violence. But you don't want to preach. You want to send the message across, but in the most enthralling way possible. You know, so, yeah. So that's pretty much how come I traveled to Nigeria without stopping on a plane. It was via a guy called Craig Primond, a very dear friend of mine. And also, uh, uh, he was story editor when I was head writer at Rhythm City. So first of all, we're going to give a big shout out to Jason, your husband, for responding to my email, <laughs> otherwise you will not be here. <laughs> so thank you, Jason. <laughs> no, he's fantastic like that. He's fantastic. And I'm, I'm seeing the value of what he's saying. I'm learning. Yeah. Never too old to learn. No, 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 no. Now, I don't want to give uh, spoilers for people who haven't watched it, but obviously, guys, go and watch Blood Sisters. It's amazing. I'll just say one thing. I think for me, you know, the first five minutes, I don't know if it's the first five, ten minutes, it's just like where it grips you. And when she came out and danced for her wedding, I was finished. I was like, guys, <laughs> This is insane. This is insanity. <laughs> That's the part that got a very definition. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, Blood Sisters was a trip. It was a trip with a message. Yeah. It was an absolute trip and it was I mean, one day I, you know, will tell you of, you know, my, my process when I was writing Blood Sisters. I mean, I was, 
I think, you know, to a certain degree, it, it really helps. I suffer from lupus, which is an autoimmune condition. So when I was writing Blood Sisters, half of the time I was laid up in a hospital bed. So it was really like me and my doctor fighting. And it, <laughs> and now he, he rings me up and like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm glad you didn't listen to me. I'm glad you wrote it. That was so good. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you around sex scenes in shows, movies, whatever. I yeah. think, um, <laughs> you know, with this particular show and I've seen like in Savage Beauty, I think the African continent or content is getting more bolder and braver mm-hmm. with, you know, the types of, or the depth, I'd say, <laughs> of sex scenes. But I just wanted to know what your, your thoughts are around that. I think it's time that we stop pretending to be these holier-than-thou continent when it comes to sex. Um, I th- think it's it's time we took away uh, uh, the sort of stigma and shame attached to sexuality and, you know, enjoying one's sexuality when you look at africa and and, you know we preach at least in zambia there's a lot of preaching around ah we're a christian nation and i'm like okay that may be true but we're also a nation of a lot of side chicks uh we're also a nation of a lot uh of you know sexually active people whether you know in the correct form which is you know consensual over 18 or young underage clueless kids out there teens preteens whatever it's happening it's happening can we stop pretending it isn't my only thing about sex in film sex on the screen is that it shouldn't be gratuitous sex for the sake of sex i i don't subscribe to that but if you look at blood sisters and where the sex really occurs it's between two particular people and that is their love language those two Anything and and everybody knows that couple that is just always at it. And for me, the idea of these two just, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, this is their love language. This is what they do. This is what they, they enjoy. They enjoy each other's bodies. They're very horrible people, sure. But they also enjoy this physical connection as husband and wife. So why, if you will see, if you will notice, there was no sex between, you know, Cola and Sarah. But there is between these particular two. And that was a point. That was a point. And in terms of nudity, you will see there's a reason, there was a reason for the nudity. It was to showcase when you go into these places of like rehab, how they strip away your dignity, 
Exactly. So it wasn't pointless. If you were if you were watching Blood Sisters and you were paying attention to the story, you would understand there was lots of meaning and thought behind each scene that we chose to keep. So it wasn't just for the sake of, oh, we want to see breasts and we want to see bumps. No, it's the idea of you're going to this place. You've left your own house, your own bedroom, and now you suddenly have to shower with, you know, 20 other people that you don't know. And then you have them judging you because you come from a family of wealth. You're already hated. So imagine being looked at naked, completely naked and vulnerable by people who you know for a fact don't like you at all. So it's it's things like that. And when you see there's a, you know, I've been asked by a lot of Zambians about the kiss for mother and son, like on the lips. It happens twice and there's a reason there's also a reason for that kiss you know and I can't explain it without giving away anything so I I don't want to spoil it but there's a reason if you look at Kola's mom's relationship with his dad or lack thereof then you understand and if you look at you know how Kola treats women and where that came from and who turned a blind eye to it. It's actually the two people, there's this, it's, they suffer from two syndromes that are a female version of it and a male version of it. And it, it always occurs between mother and son. So it is an actual existing condition between the two. And in, 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 in Africa, we never what did you call that syndrome? Because when I was talking to my friends, I was like, guys, why is it okay to raise a demon and then put him and leash him on the world? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> so, um, so Kola, Kola has Oedipus syndrome. So he suffers from Oedipus syndrome and his mom suffers from Jacosta syndrome, which is a sort of female version of Oedipus syndrome. So, yeah. So it, all, it, it, it talks about sort of Jacosta is kind of, it's a non-sexual obsession with the male child. Um, and it usually occurs in women who, who, you know, whose child is, is a love child. And then the father of that child is normally not in the picture. And so they transfer that love to the, to that child, to that boy child. And then Oedipus syndrome is something that it, according to, you know, Freud, Sigmund Freud, it's something that young boys develop at a very young age, the first woman that they find themselves physically attracted to is always the mother. And they learn to suppress, you know, the sort of sexual urge that comes with it. And I'm I'm saying this, I'm trying to be very sanitary how I say all of these things. But, you know, like in Zambia, you would find, and I always used to hear my friends say this, like, oh, you know, he must just go and marry his mom. And 
subcon- they don't even know that subconsciously they've hit the nail on the head. A lot of us grow out of it, but some of us stay stuck in that cycle. So Kola and his mom, that little bit, that's what it was. And in, 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 in African culture, we don't recognize it. We just feel like, oh, it's weird. Like he's so obsessed with his mom and she's so obsessed with him. I think she wants to bury him. You know, it's little things like that, that later if you can research, you kind of start to understand like, oh, it's like mental health. No funda, ana funda, ana vula, enzo tava mrodz, chinta, you know, nimfuit. On top of it, nimfuit, she's okay. Nimfuit, ana Like I see all these um, videos on Facebook of like, mm. oh, which yeah. court make it outside? I'm like, this person is probably having a mental breakdown. Yeah. There's no witchcraft here. So it's it's the same. It's the same sort of, we need to start looking at these mental health issues a bit more as well as, you know, an African continent. Because I think that is a syndrome of it on its own in Africa. We just, we are very clueless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So moving on from blood sisters, I think my final thing that I really liked was around Ngozi because I think that one is around road safety, right? Yes. Yes. And for me, I feel like storytellers and maybe even just Zambian storytellers are so focused or not really, okay, they're not even storytellers. It's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to put out something and it's just, don't do it. You know, it's preachy. It's like, but I love that you use the story to bring that message across and say, listen, there's so many repercussions from one choice can affect so many other people. Yeah, you know, and I think for what that was telling me was like, you know, we can really control the narrative and the way that we're trying to educate our population with story. But people don't get that when you're telling them, Tell a story. They're just like, no, I'm going to sell my product like this. <laughs> I'm just going to be posting the picture over and over again. Oh, And that doesn't work. Like even in real life, who wants to be preached at? Not me. Not me. A good story will always deliver a message. You don't have to preach. You don't have to be on the nose. It, you know, not... You know, not that I want to go back to Blood Sisters, but like if you look at Blood Sisters, it was talking about something very important. But we were not saying, oh, my God, you know, this is domestic violence. (laughs) This is, you know, substance abuse. And there's a reason why people abuse substances. They don't just wake up and abuse substances. No, we didn't do that. We dramatized it we made it you know relatable because you don't necessarily have to have you know the backdrop of Timae to turn to drugs and alcohol but you understand her need to forget traumatic events you understand her need to escape from a crazy dysfunctional family you may not be from that level of dysfunction but you understand that a family can be toxic 
Obviously, to do such productions and, you know, create amazing stories like this, then there has to be some funding and advertisers and things like that. And I was just wondering, like, does it feel awkward to have to write in, you know, those... I hate it. <laughs> product placement. I hate it. Yeah, product placement. Yeah, thank you. Hey, absolutely hate it. Especially on telenovelas and soapies. You get that all the time. And it's, it's, it's necessary because that's, you know, what keeps the show going. Yeah. But how, so what's your advice for making it feel natural? Cause you know, I watch different shows and I'm just like, so yeah, just telling me that it's like, I can so see like, okay, this is just, yeah. habit, you know, I mean, but then the others that feel a bit more natural, you're like, oh, yeah. okay, cool. I mean, I always try by all means, if there's a, product that needs to be advertised I always try by all means to weave it into story make it part of the story not just a prop like for example if there is a hotel say for instance in Durban that wants to advertise I will make it a part of the story that you know say for instance a young character is being seduced by, I don't know if you, you were watching Rhythm City or anything like that. We had a, we had Mapula who, who was very, you know, above board, very responsible. She was taking care of her siblings and she was going to school and, she, you know, she had a bright future ahead of her, but life was really tough. And at some point, as every one of us does, you, you get tired and you get despondent because you're doing all these correct things. And you're not seeing the rewards. Life keeps knocking you down. So we had some hotel in Durban that wanted advertising. And I thought, well, if we're going to do that, we could use it as part of the story that the, um, the blesser is enticing her with a trip to Durban, she's never been on a flight. She's never slept in a hotel. And he's giving her all of this money suddenly that she's never seen before. She's wearing bone straight 30 inches and ordering room service. So that is part of the story. And it's quite subtle uh, the way it slides in. And the person watching is like going, oh, but this is a nice hotel. Even without a blesser, I wouldn't mind going there. <laughs> You know, so so try to, as you know, as a creative, try to always organically make the product a part of the story rather than making the story background and, you know, foregrounding the product. That's just off. Because even without saying anything sometimes, if, for instance, you're advertising washing powder, your character is doing stuff and it's, they're just there. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. It speaks for itself. Well, but I, I hate product placement. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> of my necessity. Yeah. <laughs> hate so, it. What are your, let's say, top three tips for aspiring writers on the continent? Top three is write every day. Write every single day. Even if it's 30 words, write every single day. 
The second thing I would say is join a community of like-minded people. Join a community of like-minded people because this is a very lonely job. It may seem glamorous from the outside, but it's a very lonely job. And before you make it, it can feel like it's pointless and it can feel very difficult. So having people that know and understand what you're going through is very important for your mental well-being. And secondly, don't wait for opportunity. Chase it. Or is that the third one? <laughs> Chase it. You know, by Jove, it's, it's so amazing today how, it, how easy it is to reach people com- in comparison to when I started. You know, these days, people are on Instagram. You can DM them. People are on, you know, other social... Exactly. It works. It works. People have got, um, if they don't respond to you in their DMs, people have got pages. And if you comment on their page or do something to attract their attention on their page, you're most likely to be noticed. So don't wait. Don't wait for opportunity. That just is not going to happen. Chase the opportunity. So, Zeli, what is your next big dream that you are looking to smash? Well, I'm hoping for, this is going to sound so cheesy, but I would love to have an opportunity to work in Zambia. I really, I mean, it sounds like, you know... But it's true. I really, really would love to do something in Zambia. I would love to give back in some form. I really would. I feel like, you know, I've worked so hard in South Africa and South Africa embraced me and I am one of them. I really feel that way. And I have done this monumental thing with Nigeria And it just feels a little bit off that I haven't done anything at all in Zambia. So that would be my my next big thing. And that is something that I am working towards, you know, whether it's getting Zambian actors into one of my projects or whether it's, you know, helping to shape the next batch of Zambian creatives. I hope both. (laughs) But that's my next big dream. Um, But if you're asking for work that is already in the pipeline, yes, there is work in the pipeline. (laughs) And I can only hope that it does as well as, you know, Blood Sisters, if not better. (laughs) <laughs> better but i love that you've put it out in the universe so i'm sure it's going to definitely come back to you to do the work in zambia <laughs> okay zeli please tell the audience how do they find you obviously guys go and watch blood sisters so let's yes, keep celebrating 
But how do people get in contact with you or just see what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So my amazing husband started a Facebook page for me and it's uh, Zelipa Zulu on Facebook. It's Zelipa Zulu, I think. Yeah, Zelipa Zulu screenwriter. I think that's what it is. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I think that's Zeli underscore Oz or Z. Uh, I have to check. <laughs> I am pathetic. I am pathetic. Yes, it's Zeli underscore Oz. So that's, uh, yeah, Zeli underscore Oz on Instagram. It's Zeli Pazulu on Facebook. Um, and I think it's Zeli underscore Oz on Twitter. But I think the most important place that you can find me, the most meaningful place that you can find me is on um, the Facebook page, which I, you know, will be using to talk about the art of screenwriting, which I'll be using to help screenwriters who are just beginning um, and screenwriters who have actually got a project that is ready um, in guiding them on what the next step is and possibly putting them in touch with the right producers. So I think that would be your best bet if you are just looking to hone your skills would be find me on my page. We'll be doing a sort of weekly hour session just talking about you know, screenwriting in a very practical sense to help people move their projects ahead. So, yeah. And then Instagram as well, which I will be doing live sessions of a similar nature. Yeah. That is good to know. Thank you for sharing that. That's very generous of you. Yeah. I think we need, we need a bit more um, writers out there in the world, a bit, a few more creatives. Yeah. Yeah. Especially from Zambia. (laughs) I'm just, yeah, we just need to, I don't know, It's we just need to get on the map somehow, you know? I just feel a little bit frustrated that there's nothing forthcoming. Well, you know, um, Sampa did the most amazing thing. um, Yeah, Coachella. Which I sound like Ozark, like, and, and performing at Coachella, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I just feel like we can have more of those achievements if we, the few that have been fortunate enough to have those successes are actually giving and sharing of that success. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I love that it's it's being spearheaded by women. I must say that. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's just written in the stars. It's our time. Yeah. And there has never been a better time to be black, to be woman, to be in the creative industry. There's just never been a greater time than right now. Yeah. So let's do this thing. Let's do it. Um, (laughs) Thank you so, so much. I have enjoyed this session. It has been very likewise. And thank you for being so giving. 
Thank you for having me and thank you for affording me this opportunity on, you know, your podium. I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate, you know, what you're trying to do in shining a spotlight on women who, you know, are trying to make strides in all aspects and all manner of industry. So thank you. you thought I was just going to talk about blood sisters <laughs> I'm a professional I beg please I honestly think that in my former lives I was a journalist lawyer Indian <laughs> okay anyway sis isn't she amazing oh goodness now if you know me you know that I'm a writer as well so I was very selfish me I went in there for a master class <laughs> But I'm sure you also picked up some things as well. Ne? So just calm down. So here is my top takeaway. Now, parents, I'm talking to you. Parents, hmm? we really have to stop this thing of forcing children that are gifted in trades or the arts to go get a university degree as a backup. And then they never use it. In Africa, we have been told that if you are a plumber, a carpenter, a singer, an actor, a writer, a hairdresser, then you are just not important. You know, your job is not important. Excuse me. We need these things every day. Okay? You turn to the arts when you need to get through the lowest of moments. You turn to the arts to experience so much joy. When you jump into your car at the end of the day, you turn on music. Hmm? When you get home, you dive into your favorite series or a book and you've been thinking about it all day. Okay, listen, we were just reading Flomo the Wife. People almost got fired at work, hey? And yet, you don't give respect to these people. Not everyone can be a lawyer. How? Not everyone can be a lawyer, doctor, engineer. We all have our callings and each one is just as valuable as the next. You know, someone was recently telling me how in Australia, their tertiary education is divided into trades and then specialties, okay? So the people who choose trades, they get paid a lot of money. I mean, when will society stop needing a hairdresser, plumber, electrician, carpenter, these are our everyday necessities. We really need to change the way we view arts and trades on our continent. I think what you should be doing as a parent is supplementing your child's talent with short courses like business, ICT, project management, you know, additional skills that they can use to take their craft to the next level. If little Johnny says he is a writer. Let him write. He could be an author traveling the world talking about his collection of work. If sweet Jerita eh, has a talent for doing hair, don't beat her. Just let her do the hair. By 25 years old, she could own a chain of hair salons across the country if you support her. 
Now, at Africana Women, we give our guests their roses right now. So please go and find Zeli on Facebook and on Instagram at Zeli Pazulu and tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. In fact, take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your stories and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. By the way, I started a writing challenge to encourage myself to get into the habit of writing every day, and you can go check it out on the Africana Woman blog. If you want to join me on this challenge, use the hashtag 30 days writing. It's been fun. <laughs> now, sis, I remember when I was starting the Africana Woman podcast, I was lost. I was a lost ducky. No equipment, no systems, no training in editing. Like it was just crazy. But two years down the line, I am so proud of how far the podcast has come. And the mission of Africana Women has always been to tell more African women's stories. Therefore, we are helping you start and maintain your podcast. If you have a burning idea and are interested in launching a podcast, but you don't even know where to start, that's okay contact us at africanawoman at gmail.com. We got you. Okay. Your story is important. Now my playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple podcasts, because that helps us spread the word about the show to more African sisters out there. So talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.